This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Wait, all right, let's go. Okay, Parsha Tezriah Mitzvah 5783. We're going to start with a Pasuk toward the beginning of the Parsha after Parakid Bez, which is a very short Parak. Yud Gimel Gimel. The raw coin is the Nega Ba'ora Basor. The coin's going to see the Nega, you know, obviously the, the, the Saras. In the skin of the flesh of the person, and the hair within the nega turns white. And the appearance of the nega is deeper than the skin of his flesh. He or who? I can't remember it's who or he. I think it's who, right? Who? It is a nega of tzaras. The coin sees it, and he makes him tame. This is the very beginning of the parsha. It's really like the introduction to all of the guy, because then afterward we go through all the details. We go through all the little things that are right over there. There's a couple things we have to know to start off. The Sforno says sort of an introduction for this, like a Hakdama, and he says, the word nega, when used on its own, that means that the disease has started. That's the nega. It just started, there's something there. As it grows and it becomes bigger, it becomes negatsaras, which makes a lot of sense. At the end, when it begins to heal, it's only called saras. Nega is when it starts to go down. So down, saras is when it starts to go up. And something like, it could also be called nesek or whatever, depending on what it is, maybe bohak. The disease is only meant to give somebody a, oh, and I mentioned one more time, when it stays on the body for a long time, it's called saras noshenes. That's saras noshenes. He says, it's only there, says the Svorno, to give someone a kapara. Sets, Different zmanim. It's there for different purposes, so you get different things at different times. That's the entire idea behind it, but it's all there for a person to do tshuva, to feel like he needs to do something about himself and to make himself better. The Ramban says a little bit differently. I'm not going to really, you know, harp on the, the differences over here, but he says in the beginning it's called Neget Saras. When they're a completely form, complete form of tumor, it's called Saras He. Sometimes a Neget will be just Saras, etc. He goes into it. But again, that's not the Iker part. The important thing is, is that there is somewhat of a difference between a nega and a neget saras, saras noshenes, and the difference between that. Now Rashi says, and he points out from this Pasuk, there are two things that are necessary in order for a person to become Tame. First, the nega had to originally appear dark and then turn white. In other words, the regular flesh skin color of your skin doesn't have to be darker than that, depending on how dark they were, and then turn white. That's number one. And number two, there have to be two hairs sticking out of that nega, and the two hairs also eventually turn white. But again, it has to turn white and two hairs that are sticking out of the nega itself. Those are the two things that you need. Now, the, regarding those two hairs, there is a massive machlokis where Rashi gets it from that you need two of them. Because the Pusik only says, Seyar Benega Hafach Levon. It only mentions one hair. It doesn't say Se'aros, Se'arim, anything like that. So it sounds like it only has to be one hair. The Mizrahi talks about it. Everybody talks about it. It's all over the place in the Meforshi Rashi. And again, not something I'm going to go into. Aksava Kabbalah says it should be obvious that there are certain words that can be used in plural. Like nobody asks any question about like, what's the plural of shore? It's sure. That's just what it is. Nobody asks what the plural of chamor is. It's chamor, right, technically. Se 
is like that way, right? It seems to be that there are certain words that just represent, and even if sometimes you'll see something like chamorim to mention the plural of something, right? Maybe shvorim, double vav, yudmem, right? But the idea of shor is just, it represents multiple and not just one single. So when we have the word seor, seor can mean hair, as in one hair, but it also can mean hair, as in the hair on your head. And it really works in English as well. Hair can represent one hair that you have that you're referring to. It could also meant, it could represent all of the hair that a person has on them. Both of those work and both of those make a lot of sense. So he says there shouldn't be a question with that. Now the Vilna Gon, the Grod, this is quoted by almost every Likut Sefer out there. Like everybody quotes this Vilna Gon. They all say that it seems that Rashi translated the Pusik out of order when he goes through. The first, the Pusik first mentioned the hair and only then, hafach lavan. If you look at the Pasuk, viseir benega, and then hafach lavan. But Rashi says, hafach lavan is going on the maranega, the nega turns white, and then he explains that there are multiple hairs there. So the girl wonders, why is Rashi going out of order? Why is he explaining it out of order that way? And he says, which is an interesting thing, that one might think that the hafach lavan is referring to the hair, not the nega. Meaning, when we read this puzzle, you could say, he sees the nega, the seir benega, and there's a hair in the nega, comma, hafach lavan, that turns white. And the marianega. It sounds like the hair turned white before the marianega turned white. And that, the Gros says, can't work. Because if the hair turns white before the maranega turns white, then it's going to be tahor. So therefore, it must be that a fachlavan is translated first. It's going on the nega. And only then we go into seor banega, the seor turning white, and that's that. That's how the Gros explains it, and it's a good explanation. But the Ksaba Kabbalah looks at this and says he can't believe this came out of the Gros mouth. Remember, the Vilna Gon never wrote any svarim. He has glosses, little things that he wrote on Shulchan Aruch, which are basically like where everything's from. And he did, I don't know if it's exactly from him, but he has that safer on Mishlein Kohelis that maybe his Talmudim put together based on his writings. But the Vilna Gon very rarely, everything we have on Chomish is based on things that he said, based on things that people heard from other Svarim that they say were quoting Rebbe Leomi Vilna. So the Ksavah heard this and he said, it can't be, this just can't be. Because the very next Pusik says, Usara Loafach Levan. The hair didn't turn white. That's certainly referring to the hair. That's not talking about the nega. So if this, that Pasuk is talking about that, why wouldn't this Seir Benega Fachlevan also be talking about the Seir so he doesn't feel that that's the correct word? Something's wrong here, he says. He doesn't explain exactly what it could be, but he says that something's wrong. Okay, all of that is all an introduction to what's going on in these psukim. Now we're going to get into the, the ideas of what all of this indicates. So we say it like this. Pardis Yosef wonders why something white would indicate Tuma. Why white? White is always the color that we use for Tahara. White is what the Kohen Gadol wears when going into the Kodesh HaKadoshim and Yom Kippur. That's the color that should represent the things that are the greatest in the world. Right? We have this idea of what white represents. You'd think that that's not something that's a nega, something that's ultimate tuma. So he says, well, he says, one of the reasons for Tsaras, we all know Lashon Hara, for being, you know, an Atsar Ayin looking at other people. He calls it stinginess. Stinginess is there. Embarrassing someone publicly because he's feeling bad about another person is enough that that's one of the things that causes you to have tzaras. Whitening someone's face by embarrassing him publicly causes you to have your own whiteness. He also explains that 
when a young man sins, it's totally understandable. And that we can hear because a younger guy who doesn't have the ability to hold himself back yet, that makes sense that he gets out there and he does something that's wrong. But when a person with white hair, an older person who already has been through the world and knows what's going on, when he sins because of taiva, that's beyond our understanding. How is it possible that a person who knows that he's so close to death, that white hair represents the idea of death, right, that he still is sinning? That's why it's a sign of Tumah, to remind him how could you allow that to happen to yourself when you know that everyone is dying at some point, everyone's dying, and it may be soon, chas v'shalom. So those are the two reasons he gives. Why white? Because again, number one, one of the reasons for Tsaras is embarrassment, whitening someone's face. And number two, the fact that you have white on you should remind you never sin. How could that be? Baruch Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given me the ability to get white on the bottom of my beard. It only happened when I grew my beard out. Like all of a sudden I noticed like I'm super white now. But that's how it happens. Also, this could be all because of my son-in-law. I'm not sure. It's possible. But it, it definitely didn't exist before my daughter got married. Then all of a sudden everything changed. So it's possible I have absolutely no idea. That's the part of Yosef. That's how he puts it right over there. Does Naim Latora says something that's awesome. He says the nega is in the or habasor, the skin of the flesh. Mamish in the skin, right behind him. He says because this sickness is so different from every other sickness. Not only does this sickness make you tame, but it's a clear sign that you did something wrong. Look, when a person gets sick, let's say I got, I, I you can still hear it in my voice. I got super sick right before Pesach because I'm allergic to dust and I'm allergic to mold. And it was right when the weather changed and then changed back and then changed and then changed back. And I was dealing with dust all the time because I was cleaning up my house. So I got super sick. And I like, I, I, my whole head was pounding and I had everything in my throat and I didn't have anything. And you can still hear it. Like I, my, my voice is still not back to what it was. I could attribute that to anything. I could blame it on the mold. I could blame it on my seasonal allergies. I could blame it on the dust that's around me. I won't necessarily attribute it to a sin. Because it seems natural to me. Yeah, I got sick, but also there were all those things happening. You barely ever hear a person that says, I caught a cold. Why? Because I spoke Lush and Hari yesterday. That doesn't happen. Nobody says that. You don't hear a person say, oh my gosh, my nose is running. Why? Because I came to Shacharis seven minutes late. Nobody says that because we don't think that way. But by a nega, when it goes in your skin, says that says Oznayim Torah, then you see something. You can't get away from that. Now you know a Kaddish Baruch Hu is sending you a message. That means you're going to say, "Okay, I obviously did something wrong." Whether it was stinginess, whether it's gaiva, whether it's lush and hara, or whatever it was that I did, I know I did something wrong. So not only is it just something that's sickening and makes you and even somebody asked me today and a rav asked me today it did it hurt did saras hurt the person there is there's an achron that i saw that said it dependent on how bad his lush and hara was and how many times he got saras the first times it didn't necessarily hurt but as time went on it became more painful i forgot who it was i'd have to look it up but that's something that's out there but this is literally an os kayan the same thing that happened to kayan according to the measure she had saras that sprouted out on his forehead this is what happening for this guy so that he knows this is not just a physical ailment. This is not just you getting sick because of environmental factors. This is something where a Kaddish Baruch was saying you deserve to be dead, you deserve to get something wrong, and therefore I'm putting a white spot on you so that you realize you need to become a better person. That's the idea the Oznayim Latorah says, and that's an awesome, awesome line. The Meshachach points out and now we're going to try to give five or six answers to this question. Meshach Chokmah points out, there's something weird in this Pasuk. If you look in the beginning, the raw Kohen is the Kohen sees the Nega. Look at the end of the Pasuk. 
The Kohen sees it. Why does it say twice in this Pasuk that the Kohen saw it? Why does he need to see it twice? That's the question that he asks. It's a brilliant question. So the Meshach Chachma gives his answer. He says, the first time he sees it, he needs to see if the Nega deserves to be Tameh. He's looking at the Nega and he needs to see, is it the size of a proper Baharas, Sapachas, Ace, etc.? Is it something that is that size? Is it white enough? Is it the right color? Does it look deeper than the skin around it? He looks at all that and he sees whether that... But then he takes another look. There are certain times where you don't get involved in being metame the guy. For example, if it's a chosin during his sheva brachos, you do not look at the nega, you don't declare him tame. If it's a guy during cholamoid or yomtif, you have to look at the, at the the surrounding factors and see whether you should actually declare it tame or not. So number one, you look at the nega. But number two, you look around and say, hmm, is this the right thing to do right now or not? So there's two things that the Meshachachma says. That's Vera'ohu. He looks at him himself and he says, okay, does this guy need this to be Tomei right now or not? Yes, yeah, Shlomo. Yeah. That he sees it after. He still wouldn't be with Tomei when? I can't be Medayik. I'm quoting from the Meshach Chachma. I hear you. And I kind of thought that way as well, that the coin wouldn't look at it at all, right? If it's Shabbat Brachos or it's whatever it is, something like that. I don't know. It's possible that what the Kohen, at least according to the Meshach Chachma, is saying, he's looking at it, right? And then afterward he sees, okay, is this something that I should declare now? That seems to be what the Meshach Chachma is saying. But I hear the question. I, I don't know. I, I might have even looked at it the opposite way. Maybe it's Vera Kohen. The Kohen looks at the environment and sees, should I be Metamayit? And then Vera Ohu, and he looks at it and says, okay, should, what should I do? What should I say? I don't know. I can't tell you. But I'm, I, this is what the Meshach Chachma says. That's his answer for it. It's a good question. Tam Vidas, Rav Sturmbach, he says a different idea. He says, this isn't like a psak that you get from a judge who can sit down and think about the matter before paskining something. When you have a dayan and you have a case coming in front of them, then the Allah is the following. They bring the case in front of them, they discuss it, the judges and whatever it is. Sometimes they have to look up Svarim. Obviously, they're not going to know everything Baalpeh. Chosh and Mishpat is not an easy thing to deal with or anything else that a dayan might have to deal with. It's not an easy thing. So they'll sit down, they'll think about it, they'll consider it, they'll go through and then afterward they'll give their psak and that could happen the next day. We're not, we don't delay judgment, we don't delay it unnecessarily, but it makes sense for a judge to be able to say, I don't know what's happening yet. Let me figure it out and I'll get back to you. That's totally normal. You can't do that by a coin. By a coin and the nega, he has to see it and make the psak right then. There's nothing to look up. There's nothing to say later on and say like, well, I don't know. Let me check this safer or this and that and the other. It's, you know what you're looking at. They must have been experts in this sort of thing. And that's that. If he's going to be Metamiyam, right, he's got to look at the nega at that moment and say it. That's why it says, It's meaning the Kohen looks at it. He has to be looking at it while making that psak. And it could be, the Rosh is even saying, that you can't take your eyes off it. And that leads it to something right over there. Then it's 
The Nitziv says something similar, but just a little bit different. He says, the Kohen sometimes has to look a little bit closer. Even a tiny dot can be the difference between a nega that's Tommy and a nega that's Tor. If the white dot that appears on the nega has little black spots on it, like you have in a little S-rogue, where you have those tiny little black dots, right, the dots that you can see, or the brown dots that are around there, that could be the difference between something that's Tommy or Tower. So we say, the Kohen has to look at it straight out and see exactly what he needs and see this is what it is, right? Even that tiny dot to make sure that what he's seeing is exactly what really is. Give me one second. Yeah. So either way, that's the idea of what he's supposed to do. He has to be look as carefully as possible. The Malaya Omer says it's very possible that something will happen in between the two reyes. These Negayim can change in seconds. They literally can change in seconds. So even if the coin looked at it five minutes ago, he has to look at it again while he's being Metame the guy. Right? So in other words, he sees it and then he sees it. And if it hasn't changed or it changed for the worse over the last five minutes, then he can declare it Tame, Musker, Mukhla, whatever it is. Right? But he has to look again. He can't just assume that what he saw five minutes ago is what he'd see at that moment. He has to keep his eyes on it the entire time. And all those three, I think, can go together. The Tam Vedas, the Malaya Omer, the Nitziv, they all seem to be saying the same basic idea. The Oznayin Latorah again says another answer. He says, because you might think a Kohen who doesn't know the Halachos. Anybody know what happens? If a Kohen doesn't know the Halachos, what happens? What do you do? You have no Kohen available who knows the Halachos of Maros Nagayim. So what do you do? So you've got to find a guy who knows it. A Yisrael, a lady, anybody. That guy comes by, he looks at it, and he tells the Kohen what to say. Tells the coin, that's Tame, that's Tahor. He has to tell him, and the coin just says it. You'd think, since the coin doesn't know what he's doing anyway, clearly, so Vera, somebody looks at it, and the wording in the Pusik in the beginning is Vera coin, the coin shows the nega to someone. Maybe you don't have to look at it again. No. The coin must see it in order to paskin what it is. He can't just say, you saw it, that's good enough for me, and I'm just going to declare him Tommy or Torah. The coin himself, even though he has no clue what he's doing, says the Torah, he has to be there and he has to say it himself. My final answer is from the Rabbeinu Bechaya. The Rabbeinu Bechaya does not say this, but I'm taking this from the Rabbeinu Bechaya. He says, a coin would not look at a nega on a Sunday. He would never look at him on a Sunday. Why? Because what happens if the guy is a, tor, is a tummy musker? He gets closed off and you have to wait seven days, right? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Shabbos, Sunday. It could be that Shabbos will end up being that seventh day. If you look at it on Sunday and you declare him tummy, the seventh day from Sunday, if you include Sunday, would be Shabbos. So you're going to end up looking at him on Shabbos self and you're not supposed to see Negayim on Shabbos. Okay, so let's say... Right? That wouldn't work out. What about a Monday? He said, Kwanah wouldn't look at it on a Monday either. Why? Because again, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Shabbos, Sunday. So that works out well. But let's say he looks at him on Sunday and he says, I'm not sure. So they got to close him off for another seven days. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Shabbos. And he wouldn't even look at him on a Tuesday. Because then the third week might fall out on a Shabbos. So because of that... 
you wouldn't see accordingly the Kohen, according to Rabbi Nebuchai, would never look at a nega on a Sunday, on a Monday, or a Tuesday. Maybe that's what it means here, Allah, what we said before, right, based on the answer that we said all the way in the beginning from the Meshachachma. If the coin first looks to see if it's an issue, then he also looks to see if it's Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday. When it's not, then he may have to look again. If it is, I'm sorry, then he may have to look again. So if he sees it and then realizes it's a Sunday, then he'll push it off until Wednesday and then see it for the first time. Super interesting, by the way. That means that they only looked at Nagayim on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That is a very interesting Rabbeinu Bechaya, but it is super interesting that they would only look on those days, according to Rabbeinu Bechaya, just to get around this issue. Dave, what were you going to say? Um, so that's very interesting. It seems odd that they wouldn't want to warn the guy or tell the guy as soon as possible so that you could stop, do tshuva as soon as possible, and also the spread would be less. I think there's no question that the coin didn't like walk... No, the coin, the coin didn't walk away and just be like, not looking, just do what you want for the next couple of days. I'm sure that's not what happened. You know what I'm saying? Like, the coin probably looked down and like, you have a respite of three days. Okay? I'm not looking at this for three days. Do chupa right now, and I might be able to do something different on a Wednesday. I'm sure that's what the coin did. But it would be extremely silly for the coin to be in there and just like, not looking, not seeing, like for that, and then run away, right? And then afterward, try to figure out what exactly to do with that. So I think that that's the, you know, obviously the coin is like telling him, do chupa right now. And it's not like being in a closed off room outside the walled city is the only way to do chupa. Clearly, there are other ways to do tshuva. So I think he helped him get there. And this is good because he wouldn't be musker for seven days if he could push it off by a day or two. Is the guy going to the coin? Is he like seeking him out because something looks funny or is bothering him? Or is the coin like observing this and then coming up? He is going to the coin. He's going to the coin. Now, somebody could. The Tosis Yomtev does say that there are cases where people would be called in to see the guy because the guy didn't want to get himself be known, meaning he didn't want anybody to know that he has Saras because obviously these people are totally embarrassed, right? If they have a white spot on them, they might be there. So they could make house calls or somebody could call it in, like a concerned neighbor who's calling, like, I don't know, it would probably be like... 511 or something, right? It would be like, hey, Mr. Cohen, I think the guy next door has a white spot, like a concerned Edna neighbor or something like that. There would probably be something like that that happened. But it does make a difference. Either way, the Cohen who sees it would declare it Tamir Torah. And even if he couldn't declare anything, he for sure told him, either way, it's not so good. You don't want white spots on your skin. This is not something that you want. If anybody's had this before, you want to get rid of them, right? That's something that I'm sure he would have said to him. I'm positive that would have been there. Okay, every Rishon. And what I mean by that is the Chizkuni, the Panech Raza, the Bechor Shur, the Rabbeinu, the Das, the Kenim, and there were more, I just didn't want to mention them all. Say, any time something becomes white, it is a sign of weakness. Weakness, right? When hairs become white, that shows that the follicles are dying. That's seemingly what it is, and therefore they're becoming white because you're losing the color, the pigmentation that's there in the skin itself. It shows some type of elderliness. When a person becomes older and he becomes whiter, etc., that also shows that he's becoming weaker, weaker than he was before, right? Obviously, I'm as strong as an ox and as strong as I ever was, right? But it might show that some people, right, might be a little bit weaker. I feel that I'm getting stronger and better. It's also, unfortunately, a sign of death. And that's what it did by Miriam. She, Aaron said, Al nasihi kemes. Don't allow Miriam to be like a dead person because Tsaras, the white spots, made her seem like the body was losing its pigmentation and thus dying. The Kleoker had something, and I've never seen this before. I actually looked it up and I can't find anything that verifies this. Kleoker says, we all know that white horses are weaker than dark horses. 
So I didn't know that. So, but he does say that we all know it. That's number one. He also says, by sheep as well, white sheep are weaker than dark sheep. I have no idea what that means. I don't know if that's what we see nowadays in our thing, but the Kaliakr says it from 450 years ago. He says, the appearance of white, he says, is from something called Lecha Halavana, which causes laziness or the cause of laziness, and it ruins everything and everyone. But it's only a simon tuma, he says, when the white sword, whatever it is, the white color comes because of the nega. As we said before, if the white hair comes before the nega becomes white, then it's not an issue. That's how the Kliyakar puts it. Rav Sturmbach explains that, again, we already talked about that color white. The color white means that a person is going to die. That's what happens to the body. It loses its pigmentation. When a person dies, and it's gone, right? That's the idea. When a person is sunk into Lashon Hara, he's better off dead. And that's the idea behind it. When a person cannot stop, he can't be in society. He can't be around other people. He can't have this guy. Because this is a guy who's destroying lives. He's destroying marriages. There's so many things that are happening because of what he's doing over here. And that's why we're talking over here. It's possible that this is the reason why Rashi is about to say that the white has to look deeper than the flesh color around it. That it has to be that when you look at it, the white looks like it's deep and the dark around it looks like it's raised above everything else. It's possible that's the reason why. Because it shows that his nega affected his root all the way down to the shorish of his neshama, the deep down within him. He is filled with tumah and he's got to get rid of it. He has something that he must work on. So that's the idea. And the truth is, says the Tamvadas, it should be the same. Like I mentioned before, it should be the same with any sickness that affects us. Whenever somebody has something like that, it should be that we have to sit down and think to ourselves, what did we do to deserve a sickness like this? And although we won't be able to come up with a full answer, I'm sure if we did some sort of chesh ben we could find something that we did that we could definitely improve on. And that's the idea of what any sickness represents. It's the idea behind it. There's an Otsar Plosa Torah who brings a story about the Chassam Sofer. And I heard this in two different ways. I'm going to tell you the one that he says over here, but I heard this in another version from someone else. He says, it's in Torah's Moshe, Parshish Chai Yisara, that the Rambam, in Parish Mishnayis, in Brachos, Parak Aleph Mishnahay, says, Rebbe Elazar ben Azariah, the Rebbe Elazar ben Azariah, the 18-year-old who looked like he was 70. Right? And we talked, we've had many different answers of how Rebbe Elazar ben Azariah was 18 years old and looked like he was 70. Says the Rambam in Parish Mishnayis, his white hairs came naturally through his tremendous ability to learn. He was so, even at the age of 18, he was so into his learning that his hair turned white from the amount of effort and yegiya that he put into his Torah learning. He literally made himself go white. That's how pressure-filled his life was, even at the age of 18. And by the way, as a timeout, it so makes sense with the sentence that he makes in the Haggadah. Right? Because he said, Harani keben shivim shana. I am like 70 years old. But how old was he actually? 18. Right? And I had no idea that we say, Zecher Yitzias Mitzrayim at night. Dude, you're 18. Of course you don't. <laughs> you're only 18 years old. Can you imagine if, like, my 18-year-old kid came up to me and he was like, I had no idea that this shot was there. You're 18. Of course you didn't know. If you didn't know by the age of 70, then I'd say, like, okay, that's a chiddish. But if you don't know at the age of 18, what's the big deal? Yeah, you're 18. You shouldn't know anything. You're 18 still. Why is that such a big thing? So he says, <coughs> this is the shot. Rabbi Elizabeth Nazaria was 18, going on 70. He had worked so hard in his learning 
that at the age of 18, he was equal to most 70-year-olds. And therefore, he said, even though I look like I'm 70 and I worked unbelievably hard in my learning and I've done so much that I turned my hair white, nonetheless, right, I still didn't know the Zechi Yitzhak Mitzrayim was at night. I still didn't know that. That's the Pshat behind that. And that's how the Rambam Parish Mishnah says over here. Says the Chassam Sofer, how could the Rambam say that? That goes against the Mafurish Gemara. The Gemara in Bracho says right there that he, Rabbi Yosef Azariah had dark hair, right? And his wife said to him, how could you become Rosh Hashiva? You don't have any white hair. So what happened? A miracle happened. And 18 rows of white hair went through his, his hair so that he looked much older than he was. That's not what the Rambam, the Rambam is saying, that he was so, he made himself like he was an old man. But the Gemara Brachos clearly says, and the Chav on the base says clearly that that's not what Pshat is. The Pshat is, is that he became white miraculously. So what's Pshat in the Rambam? How does the Rambam say that? So the Chassam Sofer says it does not contradict the Gemara whatsoever. He says the craziest thing. He says, every single person who learns Torah in the way it's supposed to be learned, should look a thousand times older than they are. If they're really learning, and they're putting all of their efforts and their kokos into their learning, all of their yigi, and they're sitting there and hovering over a toastfuls and they're trying to figure it out, they're pulling their hair out, and they're, they're sitting there with that little vein throbbing in their forehead, trying to figure it out, they should all look white. They should turn all of their hair white. But a Kaddish Baruch doesn't want that to happen. Because if that happens, everybody will look at Talmud Chachamim and be like, I don't want to be like that guy. That guy looks like he's a billion years old. So everybody's going to look at Talmud Chachamim like they're a bunch of like guys from Mars and they don't want to be like them. So Hashem makes a miracle. What's the miracle? That they look younger than they actually are. They should look like they're 100. They should look like they're 70. But instead, HaKadosh Baruch makes them look like their actual age. They look like they're normal, they're young and everything, even though they should look so much older. By Rebbe Lezor ben Azariah, he was 18. He should have looked like he was 70, but he really was only 18. Says the Rambam of Parish Mishnayis, HaKadosh Baruch who took away the miracle from him and made him look like what he really was supposed to look like. So he looked like he was 70 at the age of 18. And while that normally does not happen to people, this time it happened so that he could become Rosh Hashiva. That's how the Chassam Sofer puts it. And he says, even though... So that's an idea behind that idea of hair turning white, etc. There's also a Ksav Sofer. I don't know if people know this. The Chassam Sofer's son who says, the Gemara that Avram asked for himself to become white so he could differentiate between him and his son Yitzchak Avinu so everybody would know who was Avram and who was Yitzchak. He says he actually went white, says Aksav Sofer, because he had a daughter to marry off and had no idea who to marry his daughter off to. His daughter, right, Bakol, if that was her name, right, the Cherem's opinion in the Gemara of Basra, right, he had no one to marry off to and therefore he got white hairs from thinking who is my daughter going to marry? And that's where he got his white hair from. So it seems to go against the Gemara, but I guess it goes the same way. The Ksav Sofer was trying to say that's how Avram Inu got the white hairs. He asked the Kaddish Baruch when Hashem normally would allow this miracle to happen to keep him young, but because he asked for it, Hashem said, all right, and he became white, but he actually became white for something like that. And then it became more Chashuv, and that's when Hashem kept that idea in the system so that such a thing would happen. Okay, the last thing we're going to go through is something that's Something that goes through the rest of the parsha. Rashi says that anything white seems to be deeper than the dark surrounding it, similar to how sunlight seems to be deeper than the shadows that surround it. 
Now that's obviously a very questionable thing. If you look outside when there's sunlight and shadows, it doesn't necessarily look that much darker. Sometimes you can see it, sometimes you can't. I've tested with hundreds of guys all the time. I'll say, look outside right now when it's shining outside, right? Always during Parshat Zriyam Mitzorah. And I'll say, what looks deeper, the light or the dark? And I will always get about a 70-30 range. 70% say the white looks darker. 30% looks that says the dark, the dark side looks, looks deeper. I'll always get that one guy who's like, I can't see anything. There's always that one guy, right? So you always have that, but it's about a 70-30 range. The Sivsei Chachamim says something crazy. He says, we see out of the pupils of our eyes. The pupils of our eyes are always darker than the white surrounding it. And therefore, our pupil allows us to see the darker parts as if it's closer to us and the lighter parts as if it's farther away from us. I'm not even going to try to go into that and understand what that means. I have no idea. I'm just going to assume it's Kabbalah. I have absolutely no clue what that, what, what in the world that means whatsoever. There is a Rebchil Michal Feinstein over here with the Briska Rub, but I'm going to skip that right over here. As well as the Shari Aaron, there's a large Rambam over here that everybody wonders exactly what the Rambam's saying. The Rambam does not agree with Rashi, but what the Rambam means is a little bit questionable, right? It is a strange Rambam. Regardless, there's Ramban. The Ramban says, we don't always see this. Sort of like what I assumed, that Rashi doesn't seem to make much sense over here, especially because later on he says, I don't know how this is possible when you don't have something that appears darker than everything, deeper than everything else. But he says, it's not necessarily. He says, it's due to the shine of the light color. Something shining will look deeper than the dark things around it. It doesn't have to be light necessarily, like something white versus something black, it could be that it's something that shines. If you have something that shines down from the sun, then you'll see that with your eyes deeper. Now, I think what the Ramban means is the following, but I'm not positive. When you see something that's super bright, you know, like sometimes you go outside and the sun's out and it's super bright on the sidewalk around you, it's easier to see the darker things than it is to see the lighter things. The lighter things sort of like make you like blink and sort of look back. So it's almost like your eyes will concentrate on the dark and the light will be to the side. So I kind of assume that that's how the Ramban is saying it. It could be something else entirely, but I kind of assume it means that the guy is like looking at the dark itself and the light that's right around it is seeming to be deeper. It looks like it's deeper in some way, shape, or form. I'm not positive. I'm not positive that's what the Ramban means. But he says that there are some lighter shades that seem a little bit different. For example, there's such a thing as a se'ace. Se'es, by definition, means something that is higher. That is a white spot, a light spot, that is higher than the spots around it, which is super strange to think about. But in other words, there is something that looks higher, even though it's lighter than the things around it. So there's other ways to look at this. There's an etziv, the points out a she'iltos and a Taurus kohanim, that is considered more taller because it does appear higher, and whatever it is, however... I don't know if it matters so much. The point is, is that one of the chiyuvim is to see it as if it's deep. If I knew what that meant, I would be able to help everybody, but I don't know. I will tell you that Rechaim Kinyaski was once asked by somebody, is the reason why we don't have tsaras today because we don't know the difference between the different colors. Rechaim Kinyaski said to him, I know the difference. I can tell the difference. Maybe there's a way of seeing this type of color and knowing what looks deep versus what looks deep 
you know, like higher. I'm not positive. And I'm not positive this is something that we even know. Or again, if it's something that I'm missing over here and what the Ramban is saying is very, very different. The Rambam also seems to say something that's a little bit different. Rashi says everything lighter is deeper than something darker. The Rambam, Ramban says only if it's shiny in a certain type of way. There are certain types of lights that seem that way. The Rambam, it's possible that Amok applies to every nega, everything that's there, no matter what, whether it's lighter, darker, etc. What it means exactly, I can't tell you. There's clearly something that's going to be, that, that, that we're missing here, and we don't fully accept, and maybe, maybe there's an Rachayim HaKadosh. All right, seven minutes. I got seven minutes left. I'm going to skip over to the very, very end. Why a coin? What does this coin have to do with his life? Well, Victor Miller says very clearly, a coin becomes the central figure in this guy's life from now on. Meaning this guy probably lived his life, his whole life, and saying, I can take care of myself. I can do everything myself. I don't need anybody else around here. Right? When he does something wrong, he'll do tshuva on his own. When he does something right, everything works out well. Like, he just lives his life, and he's perfectly fine. He doesn't have to worry about anything whatsoever. But now he realizes that he can't go anywhere without the coin telling him, tummy or tahor. If the coin tells him Tame, he's lost. He's got nothing. If the coin tells him Tower, he's able to go back to society. Everything hinges on what the coin's word t- says to him. Whatever he says, that's what's going to go. And that means the rest of his life, really, the rest of his life is going to be about going to the coin and understanding that his word is the word of God. And that's an awesome lesson to learn, isn't it? Isn't that an unbelievable lesson? From now on, you know that that man, that man that's speaking, that coin, is absolutely the word of a Baruch Hu come to his mouth and he has the ability to say, Tame Torah, he's able to do anything. And you'll trust him more than you'll trust anybody else in your life. That's the whole lesson, sort of Victor Miller, right? That's what it's supposed to be. Why specifically a Kohen? Moshe of Zikanim says, because the Kohen receives Trumos, Maestros, all, the Bechor, all these gifts from B'nai Yisrael. So, you know, he should work for you. <laughs> he, you know, he's getting all this stuff from you anyway. So like he's got to do something for you. So what does he do? He gets involved in your Nagayim and tries to help you to make sure, make sure you're healed. That's what he does. That's like his job for what he's getting paid for. That's what he's getting paid for. That's the idea behind, behind it. And there he goes on. He says that they should feel that they need the quantum, not just losing money by giving to them. But that's the idea behind it. Mayan Shul Torah says, it's very easy to point out faults in others. I'm really good at that, by the way. You can just come up to me. I'll tell you exactly what's wrong with you. I'm really good at that, right? But that's exactly it. But it's very difficult for a person to see their own faults, especially by me where I don't have any. Then I, I have no choice but to see others and just to try to figure it out. That's why your puzzle to testify for something that's like that, even a relative, because it's more difficult to see your faults. That's why you need somebody impartial. That's where the coin comes into play. Why a coin? Why not a relative? Why not somebody else who's sitting next to you? Why can't it just be another guy? And the answer is because those guys might not be impartial. The coin will be impartial. The coin will try his best to be impartial. And I realize the <laughs> a bit of a hypocrisy here. You're giving him trumos and maestros, and yet we're calling him impartial. I, I do recognize that. I think the idea is that the coin knows that he has a job from Akadosh Baruch Hu and therefore will do his job knowing, right, that he obviously gets paid to do it from Akadosh Baruch Hu and it's not coming from the person. Perhaps that's the idea behind it. But the Chavetz Chaim says the whole point, you, you thought I was going to be able to go an entire shear on Saras and not bring up the Chavetz Chaim, because that's pretty much impossible. Chavetz Chaim says the entire parsha is to show how everything in life is biyad halashon. Everything is biyad halashon. It's in the hands of the tongue itself. The coin says one word, sends him out, right? For weeks. Could be three weeks, four weeks, five weeks until he becomes sore. Another word, he's brought back in. The power of a single word is being learned from the coin, And that's why a Kohen is chosen for this task, and not a doctor. 
not an expert in looking at things and seeing colors. It's the reason why the Chafetz Chaim himself, who was a Kohen, took it upon himself to write halachos of Lashon Hara and Rechilus because he understood that's his job as a Kohen to speak to others and work on them because that's what a Kohen is supposed to do. He's supposed to be that guy, the person who's working for the people's health and trying to make them better. And now you recognize how powerful that is. That's the job of the Kohen, not just because he's getting Trumas and Maestros, the Chavetz Chaim is saying, it's because that's who he is. That's what the guy does as a person. Taurus Quantum even says the following, it's a crazy thing. If a Kohen is a Shota, then a Talmud Chacham helps him and tells him whether to say Tamir or Tahor. So everybody asks the question, Kohen is a Shota. Why not say the Kohen is an Alma Aretz? Throughout all of Shas, when you have a guy who doesn't know what he's talking about, whatever, you call him an Alma Aretz. You don't call him a Shota. A Shota is a really bad line. A Shota is a guy who you send him to Jewel with 10 bucks and he won't be able to get a bottle of milk. He can't, he has no idea what's going on. That's what a shota is. A shota is somebody who is so severely mentally gone that he has no ability to do anything. Why are we calling the coin a shota? Call him an amaretz, which is the right wording for that. Or a coin who's not malumid, who doesn't know, right? Isn't that a better thing to say? Why call him a shota? It's Kesev Mishnah. And Hilchos Tumas Saras and Tess Bays says not really a shota. Just in comparison with the Talmud Chacham that he's next to, he's telling what to do, he's considered a shota. But as Nayim Latora says such an unbelievable line. He says the following. He says, okay, why are we allowed to go into Parnassa and work? Why aren't we just sitting and learning all day long? Right? What's the reason why we're not able to do that? Because obviously when it comes to stuff like this, we have to have a Parnassa and we have to work. We're sent to this world for a reason. Right? So we don't have a choice. We have to take ourselves away from the Torah we're supposed to learn, right? And we have, we say like, okay, we have responsibilities to make a living and to put bread on the table. So we do what we need to do, and that's that. So we don't have a choice. But a guy who's being taken care of and is 100% being paid for, right? And he has nothing else to do. How is that guy not learning? says that was not in the Torah. Other people have an excuse. They have to go work. They have to make up Arnosa. They can't do this and that and the other. They have no choice. But the Kohanim were being paid for by all of Klal Yisrael so that they could do what? They could just sit and learn. This Kohen had a free ride. He's given a free ride by Hashem. And he's told, you will get everything you need. Just sit and learn and take care of what you need to take care of. And he didn't do it. He didn't do it. Instead, he decided he was going to do something else. So when we need him, and we go up to him, we're like, oh, Cohen, please come, help us figure out whether this guy is Tommy or Tar. And he's like, I don't know. I never learned those halachos. We look at him and like, we're like, Shota, how are you such a fool that you didn't work on the one thing that we need you for? This is something we needed you for. You should have been studying your whole life for this. How did you not do this? That's what we look at him as. We say, he's not just an Amma Aretz. An Amma Aretz is somebody who didn't have time to learn because what do you want him to do? There's nothing he can do. But a guy who had the ability to and was supposed to and is given this job and doesn't do it, says Hosan Torah. Yeah, that's a Shota. That's a person who is such a fool, we can't deal with such a person. Can't deal with them. That's the guy that's, that we talk about right over here. The last thing I'm going to ask you guys is just very quickly, are you allowed to use glasses to look at a nega? This is a question from the Teferi Sral and the guy in Perak Bey's Os Dalit. Right? If we're saying that Cohen has to see it, is he allowed to use glasses to see it? What? Is it considered a moon? It's, uh, it's not considered a moon, at least not by any of the Rishonim. No, it's not a moon. But the question is, 
can you have something that's in between you and the nega, or do you have to take everything else out and use your own eyes? Are you allowed to do it or not? There's a, there's a bunch of rias throughout Shas, whether or not you're allowed to use glasses. And I wrote some of them down right over here, like Kiddush Levana, can you use glasses for Kiddush Levana? I can't see a thing. Like, if I would take off my glasses and try to see the moon, I'm not going to see anything whatsoever. I'll see like a, you know, a little thing out there. But you're allowed to do it for Kiddush Levana. But thank God we don't have to, you know, the testimony that we have in Kiddush Levana would be a problem. What about like for Havdalah? What about glasses to read the Torah? I, I, I can, I, I, there's so many stories in this. I don't want to deal with this itself, but it's such an unbelievable de- deal. It seems in the end you can, but I'd love for this Shiloh to be brought up. Like, are you, are you really allowed to be able to do it when you're supposed to see the Nega itself? Can you have something in between that allows you to see the Nega better? What's up with that, guys? Have a great Shabbos. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, Dave, you hear that? Clean up, please. I know you never do it.